I'm Kim Grinolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It has been a while since we've all gotten together and, you know, just go over everything that's been going on. It's kind of been a wild few weeks with UW coaches being added, the Seahawks adding some former Husky coaches, numbers changing. Coaching carousel is still, hopefully, we've seen the end of that. There's some basketball stuff going on, and uh, we'll wind this up with Scott giving a brief overview on what's going on in recruiting. But uh, Chris and Scott, just the last couple of weeks, we've had some coaches, and one with a pretty familiar name, and Steve Belichick, and then he's brought some coaches with him as well. So kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting time with the coaching staff, you guys. Yeah, I. I t- Definitely, because it's the hardest part about it is, is that with new staffs come new sources of information, trying to cultivate, you know, new sources, trying to figure out exactly what the lay of the land is with these guys. And it's not easy to do. I mean, there are some longtime sources that you can hopefully trust and and try to glean some stuff. But then they're dealing with a whole new set of circumstances as well. So, yeah, it's generally it's just kind of tough to, to get really good, solid information out there. And then on top of it, when you know that your head coach, your new head coach is probably really trying to look hard at the NFL to see what he can do in terms of bringing that experience down to the college level. And the NFL season's not close to being over. Literally, the Super Bowl happened yesterday. And it, now the season is over. And now you can really start to to gear up and, and go for it. But, you know, up to that point, it was very difficult to try to really get concrete information. But you always yeah. kind of heard some of these rumblings. And it was but at that time, it was still pretty intriguing. Hey, Scott, uh, it's, I think we're kind of surprised. We'd heard rumblings about Belichick, and so it wasn't really a surprise when it happened. I think it was more of a surprise that we heard that it could be a possibility coming from the NFL and coming from you know one of the best programs in the NFL in New England, and then he's calling plays there, but he took a defensive coordinator job in college football where we're typically seeing now uh, coaches from college are going to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was he had a relationship with Fish. He basically is going to be given complete control of the situation defensively at the University of Washington. And I I think that was appealing to him and the fact that he could bring a couple of his guys, uh, Sanceri. And it sounds like the linebacker coach, whoever ends up being that inside linebacker coach for the University of Washington, is going to be a guy probably from the NFL ranks as well, because it sounds like Steve Belichick is going to have a lot of say in who that is. So um, I think this more than anything sets him up to take a head coaching gig, whether it's at the NFL level eventually down the road or the um, or or at the collegiate level. I think NFL is probably where he wants to eventually be and end up. Um, and now he's the defensive coordinator at the University of Washington. Maybe he takes another, you know, maybe he's here a year, two, three years, whatever it is, and then goes on to the NFL, takes the lead defensive coordinator position, and then is able to move on and possibly be an NFL head coach after a few years of doing that. Yeah, by the way, no picture yet up on his profile page on uh, Go Huskies. So maybe he's going to get a haircut before we put it back up there and get rid of the mullet. What do you think? No, not <laughs> a chance. That that mullet's here to stay, I'm telling you right now. Um, one thing I would say, guys, is that, Kim, you kind of just briefly mentioned it before Scott answered. It's really interesting to see which way the kind of the, 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 the flow is going here because – 
you know, when Nick Saban retires and some of these other guys are retiring, Chris Peterson retired a few years ago, I think because they kind of saw the trend that was happening with NIL, with the portal, with this kind of literal Wild West that's been going on the last month or so. It's been interesting to see, could college football really attract some top, top talent from the NFL? Because if anything, you were seeing more college coaches trying to get into the NFL and get out of yep. this this vicious cycle that college football has kind of created. Yeah, that kind of surprised. The other one that kind of surprised me a little bit more is Vinny Sonseri, who's uh, pretty well known throughout the NFL, and he's coming in as an assistant coach. But I kind of get the feeling, and Scott, I don't know if you feel the same way, that Belichick could be here for a year or two, and then Sonseri uh, might be the heir apparent to the defensive coordinator or get other looks as a defensive coordinator uh, somewhere along the line. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a bad read on the situation at all. And and he's a very talented uh, coach. I've heard nothing but good things about him, just really young and um, needs some experience and different things. But, uh, yeah, uh, up and coming coach. And I think someone who, like you said, Kim, could take over as Washington's defensive coordinator down the road. Hey, Kim, just real quick, a couple things. Yeah. Um, Jed Fish did say during the signing day press conference that it sounded like Bilicic had a couple names for that linebackers coach role already kind of in the in the hopper, so to speak. He was the one that was going to hire that coach. So that that process sounds like it's already well down the road. And then I'd also say that Fish did confirm that Vinny Sinceri will will coach the safeties. So assuming that he's coaching the safeties. And that John Richardson, the other secondary coach that he brought with him from Arizona, will be coaching the corners, um, you know, assuming the nickel, you know, what Washington used to call the Husky under the previous staff, you know, probably those that slot corner position. So it sounds like Richardson's going to be in charge of the corners, Sunseri, the safeties. Yeah, and just for those who don't follow it as closely as we do, that was a question that was asked on signing day with uh, Coach Fish because we weren't sure – they had one more coaching spot to fill, but we weren't sure what position that guy was going to coach. And that's when he confirmed that it would indeed be an inside linebacker coach. So um, it was and William Inge left to Alabama. I'm not sure if he's a coach or an analyst back there, but um, was Inge the linebacker coach? He was. And, and then what was uh, Morrell coaching? Safeties. Yeah, it'll be Chuck Morrell is. Yeah. Chuck Morell is still around. We haven't heard anything that he's landed anywhere, but, uh, you know, I wonder if that's a possibility at all. I don't think so. If you look at the if you look at it, uh, it looks like they wanted a clean, clean break from the, the defensive side of the ball. So, well, and if you and if you go with I don't what get Fish that said, yeah, if you go with what Fish said about Belichick already kind of having, you know, some some names in mind kind of coming into the role that would seem to preclude any of the previous defensive coaches at Washington. Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of interesting to take a look at this coaching staff because I think, you know, we could easily see a lot of, um, you know, attrition and, um, you know, transition over the next couple of years with this coaching staff with Steve Belichick and Sinceri possibly going back to the NFL. And then you take a look at the offensive coordinator and Brandon Carroll, Pete Carroll's son. We could see uh, him going back to the NFL as well. So I think that when you have a quality, uh, when you have quality coordinators, they are in demand, just like when you have quality coaches. And he's put some pretty good uh, assistant coaches together. So I wouldn't be surprised if those guys are targeted in the next uh, coaching carousel. Yeah, it, and it's interesting, too, because Fish did flat out say that he fully expects Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick to be around 
the, you know, around Husky Stadium, maybe, you know, not like super like out there, like really visible and being a huge presence, you know, maybe more Carroll than Belichick just because of location. But uh, in in hearing some of the people talk about Bill Belichick and 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 maybe what his role could possibly be, you know, now that he's, you know, doesn't have a job anymore. I know he uh, interviewed for the Atlanta job and didn't get that job. And now people are kind of wondering what he's going to do. It certainly sounds like Belichick is going to be, a uh, you know, coming to Seattle and coming to Husky Stadium on some game days. So like that that Washington, Michigan game, for instance, I, I'd have a hard time thinking that Belichick would wouldn't get there for that game, you know, particular. So just, it sounds like he's going to be around a little bit. Pete Carroll could certainly be around a lot more because he's local and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, there's certainly a ton of guys that fish brought with him from Arizona that could maybe hitch their wagon to fish, whether he stays at Washington for a while, or if, you know, he has a lot of success and then he moves to the NFL, he could certainly take a lot of those guys with him. Scott uh, or Chris, which one of you will be the first one to introduce yourself to Bill Belichick if he's on the sidelines during practice? It won't be me. (laughs) I was going to say it wouldn't be me either. (laughs) All right, I'll do it. Go for it. (laughs) Go for it. I I, I look forward to videoing that and uh, and, uh, seeing his reaction to you. Well, the, the, the problem is if I was going to do that, I'd probably have to cut Mellon off, right? Yeah, maybe. I think <laughs> one of the best things about this, honestly, guys, other than the mullet for Bel- for Steve Belichick, is the fact that they now you've got like Simply Seattle and you've got some of these other people doing the um, the sawed off hoodies, you know? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so it's it's the whole culture is coming to coming to Montlake. It sounds like. Yeah, I talked to the guys at Simply Seattle and told them we needed a a, a hoodie that said Montlake mullet, and he goes, "We're working on it." So. <laughs> Keep an eye on Simply Seattle for that. And uh, we're just starting to form a relationship with Simply Seattle, by the way. So stay tuned. We'll have some cool stuff for you, uh, some giveaways and some discount codes and stuff with Simply Seattle. So looking forward to fostering that relationship. But um, after the Super Bowl yesterday, guys, kind of all hell broke loose with the drama and nonsense and UCLA, Arizona and yeah, it was kind of weird, wasn't it? It wasn't yesterday evening was. I mean, yesterday evening was when a lot of things came to a head, but it was going all weekend basically. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I whatever. You know, I I don't I don't hold any ill will toward Jason. I think he was mistaken what he did, but Well, tell people what you were talking about, Scott. Well, he's saying that Jed Fish that he got has it from a very good source that Jed Fish interviewed for the job with UCLA and actually was ready to do a second interview or something like that. And well, um, well, the person just make sure we tell people the person we're talking about, guys, is the is basically the guy who does our job for the Arizona Wildcats 24 seven site. And his name's Jason Shear. And Jason's had a lot of really, really big breaking news over the last couple of years in terms of coaches, in terms of uh, other stuff that's been going on, because he's he's got good sources down there as well. There's no question about that. But um, he certainly made no bones about the fact that that he confirmed a report that actually initiated on UCLA's 24-7 site uh, with David Woods, who said that Jed Fish definitely interviewed for that job. Now, to me, the key word is interview. I don't think there's any way in hell those guys actually interviewed Jed Fish. No. Now, was, there, was there a call to his agent? Was there some back and forth? 
probably. I mean, there usually is with those kinds of things, especially given Fish's history with UCLA. But how far it went, I doubt it went more than 30 seconds, if I have to be truthful about it. But interview, yeah, interview to me is way too strong a characterization of what probably happened here. The guy was on vacation in Mexico. But people, people are claiming that the UCLA administrators were in Cabo, too, because P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota head coach, was also in Cabo, apparently. And so they were they were saying, well, why wouldn't you if you're if you're Martin Jarman, the, the UCLA athletic director, why wouldn't you kill two birds with one trip to Mexico? So that that was that apparently that was the thought process. And, and maybe, you know what, I let's just assume everything being reported was true. I, I that would I, I don't think it is. Um, but why, why would he even be remotely interested in UCLA? They can't pay him well, what he's making in Washington. He's got a lot more pressure down there in L.A. because he's USC's little brother. And that that program is broke and um, there's no talent base whatsoever. And, you know, because of what Chip Kelly did there and then um, throw in the fact that their AD is gone. Right. Is he leaving? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I just I I have no idea why you would even entertain taking that job for another five to ten years. Well, you've got to look. A lot of people just read headlines and read a little bit, but then they stop their critical thinking. Do uh, I think Jed Fish interviewed for the job? No. Do I think he had a conversation with UCLA? Yeah, wouldn't be surprised by that because there's this thing. They're looking for a coach. There's this thing called vetting. They may have called them and said, tell me about Deshaun Foster. Tell me about this guy. Who do you recommend? If you were going to hire, who would you? By the way, would you be interested? No. Okay, let's move on. Did that happen? I wouldn't be surprised. Always a possibility, but we don't think so. But but who knows? Let me just share part of a text I got last night from somebody very, very, very close to Chet Fish. Uh, and it's not t- Jed Fish. No, <laughs> but it's, it's it's somebody who might as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. Uh, we were texting about a couple of things on a on a somewhat related note. It's necessary for me to let you know that Jed has had zero contact with anyone from UCLA, despite some podunk reports out there. I speak confidently on this topic when I say he wants nothing to do with that job right now. He's all UW for good. Just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. So here's the thing about all that. Usually you don't get those types of vehement denials. Like, you know, for instance, Fish's agent, Doug Hendrickson, actually went out on X and specifically called out Jason Shear for what Shear was reporting. You don't see those kind of guys putting that stuff out there publicly unless there's a kernel of truth to it. And I'm sorry, that's just the cynical reporter in me talking. You don't. It's it's like a, it's like chumming to get the sharks. And if there was something to it, like, for instance, guys, what you Kim, you talked about it. What if UCLA calls Jed Fish and and wants to vet guys and wants opinions on guys? Well, if you're a well-placed UCLA source that talks to reporters, you can say Jed Fish Fish absolutely talked to Martin Jarman. And by the way, just just real quick, Chris, it's 
not like it's a cold call out of the blue. He knows some of the people. He was there for a while. He knows well, the people in there. Right. But here's the thing. This is where playing telephone, the message can get misconstrued pretty quickly oh, yeah. and pretty easily. So you, if you're a source and you've talked to someone that knows Martin Jarman talked to Jed Fish, you can say, oh, yeah, they talked. Well, now all of a sudden, having talked, first of all, you don't know what they talked about. For all we know, they could have been talking about real estate. They could have been talking about anything. And But he could have said, oh, yeah, we know that they talked. Well, because of the timing, because Jarman's happened to be looking for UCLA's next head coach, people are going to go, oh, that means Fish is interested. They must be talking about the job. That must mean he's getting interviewed. And then you can see where when you go from person to person to person down the line in this little telephone string, the thing can get completely misconstrued. That would be the equivalent, in my opinion, of Ana Marikase calling Jen Cohen to get uh, recommendations on her replacement and somebody saying, Ana Mari, talk to Jen Cohen. Is she coming back? I, I mean, it's to yeah, me, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. And, 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 and this is where the topic should really begin and end, because, you know, again, you've got you've got his agent denying it. We've got people at Washington confirming the denials and, 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 and everything else that goes on with it. But yet at the same time, when you're looking at it from UCLA's point of view, when you're looking at people that are connected to these people in these searches, because Pete Thamel, who broke the story of UCLA's next head coach, which we'll get to in a bit, he said that UCLA interviewed 11 coaches for their new head coaching job. And he said many of them were sitting head coaches right now. So what is everyone going to jump to the conclusion that Jed Fish is one of those guys? Probably. Yeah. Well, but what is, the, again, what does interview mean? What is the, what is the context? At the end of the day, Scott, it's a big nothing burger. He's not going anywhere. It's nothing. You know, it's just kind of like, well, he talked to him. OK, well, so what? He's not going anywhere. You know, so uh, just uh, I think some people just like to have a good roll in the mud and get into this stuff. And it's it's um, like you said, Chris, it's like a high school game of telephone at some point. So what? Who cares? And what difference does it make? Answer well, those three questions. Well, the difference that it makes is we have a bunch of people who are really gun shy and like the, um, you know, the 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 beaten, abused puppy, you know, that just think that everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And that's just the way some people are wired. And that's the way they're going to go. Um, oh, oh, and oh, I was going to say I, on that, our board, though, I don't think there were. I don't think hardly anyone believed what was, that he even remotely was interested in that job. Yeah. And, and and this is a brand new world, Kim. I mean, we have to acknowledge it and everyone has and everyone hates it. But here's the thing. What's the other context that's driving what Washington fans might be thinking about this particular move? Well, the fact that on signing day, a guy like Ryan Grubb, goes to a booster function at the University of Alabama and says, I'm your new offensive coordinator. And then 48 hours later, he's back in Seattle and you literally see him. It's like, this is, this is the, this is the dynamic. This is the world in which we live in right now. So when you see that happen and you're in Seattle and you're a Washington fan and you're literally seeing this evolve in real time. And now all of a sudden you've got a report saying, Oh, by the way, Jed Fish interviewed for the vacant UCLA head coaching job. How are you going to react? Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, Ryan Grubb, uh, many of you know, I live down by the Seahawks facility. I live down in Renton and Kennedale. 
And um, Dino's is uh, basically right across this freeway from uh, from the Seahawks facility, Dino's Pub. And I'm sure many people are familiar with that. And that's a haunt of a lot of the Seahawks. Uh, a lot of the Seahawks front office people. I mean, I probably go to Dino's maybe two or three times a month. And I would say 50% of the time that I go in there, <clears throat> I see John Schneider, the general manager for the Seahawks. I'd say, you know, half the time I go in there, I see him. And he's usually with somebody and he's usually pretty good. Everybody just pretty much leaves him alone. And John Schneider also is a guy that blends in really well. He's not real big and he doesn't dress flashy. He just looks, he's got the scruffy beard and he just dresses like a normal guy. So he just looks like a guy who just got off work going in for, uh, for a beer. So, um, you know, I, I went in, I had my laptop, I was doing some work and, you know, they ordered some, you know, light, some light food and a beer and I go hit the head and I walk out and, Ryan Grubb is sitting there with Mike McDonald and uh, John Schneider. Um, it's kind of funny because we know what he looks like with a hat on. That was his incognito mode, guys, is he didn't have a hat on, so he was showing his bald head. But uh, I just looked at him. I said, Ryan, what the well, – you know the other word. What the – and he started laughing. And he goes, God, Kim, don't put this out until tomorrow. Don't put this out till tomorrow. And I laughed at him, and I pointed to the quarter, and I said – Bob Condota from the Times is right there, Ryan. <laughs> he just kind of shook his head. I mean, Bob Condota's 100 feet from him. And then somebody at Dino's took a picture of the table and uh, put it up on Twitter. And just kind of all hell broke loose. So um, it was kind of funny that uh, how that all happened. And I was just right there and right place at right time, I guess. Yeah, it, it's it, but it is it does go to show what we were just talking about that, you know, a lot of these coaches when especially when we know a number of the coaches, whether it was Grubb or, you know, Scott Huff is now coming with him, apparently, and, and will be the Seahawks offensive line coach. I don't think at the time we're recording this, either one of them actually have been officially announced, but it's been about as official as it gets in terms of the reporting so far. But you've got a, a bunch of guys, and Kim, you can confirm this, because and you can attest to it, because you talked to them. A lot of these guys didn't want to leave Seattle. Inge didn't want to leave Seattle. Morell didn't want to leave Seattle. Huff no. didn't want to leave Seattle. Grubb interviewed for the Washington head coaching job. That's how much he wanted to stay in Seattle and be a part of this culture and a part of this community. And so to, to see those guys come back and have an opportunity to basically say, hey, I don't need I don't need to leave my house anymore. I don't need to put my house up for sale. My family is grounded here. I've got my kids growing up here. Everything's good. I can come back. I got a promotion. Yeah. Life's good for those guys right now. Well, Scott, I mean, it's when you talk about Kalen DeBoer, and I don't want to get into the whole bashing Kalen. To me, it's kind of foolish. But a lot of these guys, you know, they've they've moved around a lot. And then when you come and stop stop and think about where a lot of these places are that you coach and you know what it's like and coming from you know you know South Dakota to Central Michigan and then to um, Fresno, Indiana, and then you land in Seattle. And Seattle is a pretty cool place for college football. There's a lot of things here available in Seattle, not only for the coaches, but their families as well. And, you know, I don't I can't say this happened for sure, but I've just got this vision of the coaches, you know, telling their daughters that are at Bellevue High School, which is one of the best high schools. Because I know that a bunch of coaches have kids at Bellevue. 
yeah, we're going to Tuscaloosa, and I got this vision of a 15- or 16-year-old girl going, oh, hell no, I'm not going. <laughs> There's no way. Can you imagine Scott as a 15-year-old being uprooted from Seattle to Tuscaloosa? No, I mean, and thankfully that didn't, you know, I never had to go through something like that. Um, and, you know, at least from, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on Deborah's daughter's name. Alexis. I think Alexis. She's still committed to the University of Washington that I'm aware of. So um, she's yes. probably going to end up staying at the University of Washington. She's, but, she's um, still posting Washington things on her Instagram account. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, I'd be shocked if she ends up leaving, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's real tough. I, I think it was tough for Jed, uh, to talk his, his three daughters. He has three daughters, right? Is it three daughters or two daughters and a boy, whatever it is. Um, you know, trying to talk those kids into going from sunny weather, 300 days out of the year to up here, <laughs> you know, I mean, how hard is that? But, um, you know, he was able to do it and get him to come up here and, and, uh, they're going to establish new relationships with all the players up here and everything like yeah. that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy gig to be a, it, it's literally like being, it's obviously not the same magnitude of job, but it's like being a, uh, you know, soldier and yeah. being in the, in the military because my wife is a military brat. She had to move every two to three years, and that's what these kids are having to do. Yeah, I talked to Troy Dannon a little bit because Troy's from Iowa originally, and uh, being down in New Orleans, I think he was there seven or eight years, and he just said it's a tough place to live. And, you know, taking his kids out up here, they're only eight and nine, so it's not that bad. But, you know, he brought his kids up here, you know, for a little bit, and they were all excited, and then they went back to um, – New Orleans, and then they get reestablished with their friends and having to leave all of their friends. It's it's tough, you know. So, um, you know, sometimes the collateral damage of the family get kind of um, kind of lost in the in the fray. But uh, just, uh, you know, Scott Huff, I think, uh, is going to be thrilled to get back here. And just because I'm a little bit warped when he went to um, Alabama. Because Scott Huff, as you guys know, he's a big, big barbecue guy. He's got a couple of green, big green eggs, and he's always experimenting. So I told him I didn't want to hear any rumors of him barbecuing weird stuff like possum and then sent him uh, the Alabama state laws about keeping your own roadkill. And uh, so uh, I, when I found out he was getting it back, I texted him again with the Washington laws about keeping your roadkill. Do you know what the laws are for the Washington roadkill, by the way, Scott? Uh, no. Uh -uh. Yeah. You have to, you have to get a permit. So I told him I'd be more than happy to pay for his first permit. I'd be honored to pay for his first permit coming back up here so he can keep his own roadkill. So we'll see what happens, but it's good to have, uh, everybody calls him Scooter. It's good to have Scooter back in town. So. You guys, I, I think another ancillary benefit to this could also be work related, especially for Ryan Grubb and, and a couple of the Washington fans on our boards, on Dogman have, have astutely pointed this out. It's kind of common sense, but I think it's also been kind of overlooked in everybody in transit and doing what they're doing. You know, Ryan Grubb was a legit candidate for the Washington head coaching job before Troy Dannon hired Jim Fish. Well, he's coming back to Seattle, 
And if Jed Fish does leave in a couple, two, three years or whatever, if like if the Florida job opens up or if or if the UCLA job's a disaster and and they have to hire another another guy again and if he wants to go down to LA and what have you, who could be right in line for the next head coaching job? It could very easily be Ryan Grubb. Yeah, and I don't. I I think it's all set up. I think a couple things. If Jed Fish does move on in two or three years, that's an indication that the program is winning. And I can promise you, the guy that's going to be at the front of the line, top of the list, and uh, would probably come back in a heartbeat as well. And that's Jonathan Smith. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot would depend on how Smith is doing at Michigan State. The other thing is, is that you assume that things are going really, really well if Fish moves on to another job. Um, that would that would be the likely scenario. The other scenario is something like what happened with Jimmy Lake happens, and there's some transgression. There's something that's unforgivable, borderline illegal or unethical, and you know Dannon is forced into a situation where he's got to make a move. So that don't want that to happen, obviously. But those are usually the two extreme examples. Someone's doing really, really well, and they're trying to get back to the NFL, which obviously Fish has made no bones about that, uh, or something really, really bad happens. Continuing on the coaching carousel, UCLA this morning hired former running back Deshaun Foster. Uh, kind of a surprise, either one of you. To me, it is. How about you guys? Well, I had actually been keeping up with it, and his name really popped up. Now, the fact that his name popped up didn't surprise me because of his affiliation with the school, but the fact that he became the top candidate for them did surprise me, yes. And then you see what Greg Biggins posts on on Twitter, you know, talking about how, you know, he was one of the greatest high school running backs he's ever covered, Um, talked about, oh, you know, the career that he's had, but is a little surprised by the hire because he isn't, you know, he isn't great on the administrative side. He isn't, um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of connections on the recruiting side. Um, you know, the, he's more of a grinder, not a talent evaluator and, and go getter on the recruiting trail. So he, he said, he said that the, uh, coordinator hires are going to be real big in this. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I think it would, it did kind of amaze me, but the thing that I'll say, is you give Deshaun Foster one or two years, and if things just are not looking like they can go, then you then you let him go and and, and have a real coaching search. They they were handcuffed in this because of when Chip Kelly decided to leave or when they forced him out, whatever you want to say happened. But they were handcuffed in this because there really aren't any quality guys with a lot of big time experience available for them. And Chris, what we'd heard as well is I don't, I don't think it's any surprise or unknown that there's a lot of money problems down at UCLA. Their athletic department's kind of in a mess down there. And it sounds like last a year ago or beginning of the season that all the assistant coaches got extended. So they were all on two year contracts. So by getting to Sean Foster, I'm sure he's on the cheap and then they're not having to pay the assistant coaches um, for not working. That may have had something to do with it as well. Probably. But again, you know, when when you look at, you know, the circumstances around them, apparently trying to interview a guy like Jed Fish with with an immediate buyout and the buyout was what 12 million. It just it just makes the situation even that more laughable that there were that there were legit rumors that people thought that Jed Fish had interviewed for this job. It's very, very, very funny, actually. I'm Um, just 
I'm just wondering if the contract, what they're thinking down at UCLA is we'll get this guy in for a year. And if things don't work out this year, that the buyout is pretty minimal and they could actually, you know, maybe use him as like an interim coach. If things go well, great. If they don't, they're not going to be handcuffed by him. Well, it's funny because if you go to the UCLA, if you go to Bruin Report online on the 24-7 site for UCLA, the initial reaction has been less than mixed. It's been pretty poor. Because if if the UCLA fans had their druthers, if they if UCLA was going to go in the direction of kind of a of, of the, the nepotism, you know, in the UCLA family kind of thing, they wanted uh, the current Nebraska defensive coordinator Tony White, who played at UCLA. So if they were going to go for a former player, they wanted to go for a guy that had a lot more seasoning, that had more success, things like that, that 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 weren't as connected with the UCLA program recently compared to like Foster. Foster was was part of the whole thing pretty recently before going to Las Vegas. So yeah, it, it just doesn't look like it's going over very well at all. So you could be very right, Kim. It could be uh, kind of a short-term fix while they try to sort out their financial issues and, and how they can parlay this into something maybe bigger in a couple of years. But in the meantime, what does that mean for their players and their situation going forward, because I, I kind of thought, honestly, guys, and I talked about this off air, I kind of wondered if this was going to stem the flow a little bit of players going into the portal. So this endless portal cycle could maybe stop, you know, because they were getting Foster back in. He was a known name. He's a UCLA guy. You know, maybe they would rally around him, that kind of thing. But if 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 the perception is out there that this is a short-term fix and it's and it's mixed at best and no one's really quite sure what's going to happen with it, this could open up a whole new section to the portal because the UCLA players now are going to have at least they're going to have 30 days to go ahead and put their name in to you know see what they want to do, test the waters and that type of thing. And it's a situation where a school like Washington, yep. who's still about 10 scholarships short of getting to their 85 number have spots to fill offensive linemen for sure. They could, they could use a couple more guys like that. And, and Chris, I was going to ask you to get into the numbers you've been on that. So uh, give people an overview, just where the numbers stand for scholarships right now. Yeah, right now, at least I just updated it this morning. It's they're around 75. And so, you know, the, right now they'll probably try to get another quarterback in, um, you know, they, uh, uh, Marmar, Demarcius Davis, getting him to come back in, was big and Will Rogers obviously especially was huge, but then they got Demond Williams who they expect to come in. Those three guys would kind of be the the solid foundation of of what Fish is looking for in the near term and moving forward. But they really could use a fourth guy. You really don't want to go into a season with just three scholarship quarterbacks. Has the, and that's, has the transfer from San Diego State wound up anywhere? I'm trying to remember. Is that Haskell? Yeah, I don't know where. I don't know where he is, but he's not coming back to Washington. He's at a lower level school, something yeah. like uh, like Northern Arizona Wesleyan or something. I mean, something small, smaller than just a FCS program. Okay. And then hopefully everyone knows too that Austin Mack, the talented freshman from Folsom, who was at Washington during the 2023 season, he's already transferred to Alabama, so they lost him. And then Dylan Morris transferred to James Madison. So there's, you know, so they lost a couple of the, the scholarship guys there and they probably need to get one uh, after spring to, to really kind of help solidify things. It'll it'll be interesting to see the dynamic and how they fill that role, because it's going to have to be a unique situation. It's probably going to have to be a grad transfer. It's going to have to be a guy that 
will understand that he's in a backup role and and you know maybe it's a, maybe it's more of an academic fit you know for instance so i don't know how they're going to necessarily try to try, try to address that yeah and scott again the uh transfer portal uh, guys cannot go into the transfer portal right now except for ucla but there's still guys out there that are in the portal they can still sign correct correct actually guys can go into the portal if they've graduated they can okay. be grad transfers. They can go in whenever they want. But guys who are not graduated and and are signed to the University of Washington will not be able to enter the portal until uh, April 15th. And so, that goes for a lot. Which of will be right and, in the middle. Which will be right in the middle of spring football, by the way. Are we done with the attrition at Washington? Are we done with guys entering the transfer portal at Washington? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, uh, yeah. Maybe, I think maybe get, there might be the occasional one here, one there for the next month or two. But like Scott said, once April 15th rolls around, it's not just going to be outgoing guys who maybe just don't mesh with the new offensive philosophy, defensive philosophy, with the coaching staff, with what have you. But it's also going to be a ton of other guys from other schools that are going to f- have basically a similar situation and are going to be looking for new opportunities fresh, uh, you know, venues, I, that type of thing. And so it's going to be happening both ways. I could count probably five to 10 more guys who are currently on the roster right now that it would not surprise me if they end up going in the portal April 15th, April 30th, whenever, whenever you, you know, they, they have April 15th through the 30th is when they can enter the portal. Would and it, that's, I, I, I fully believe you're going to see at least five to seven. Would it be fair to say that 20% of the roster is in flux right now? Oh yeah. I, I think that's, I think 25 to 30% actually pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. How, cr- how crazy. Would, could you have foreseen this a year ago, Scott? Well, if I would have told you, we no, would be because I didn't think, I didn't think DeBoer would have left and he'd re- been, he, he would have coached and or recruited most of these guys. So we wouldn't have had the craziness after the national title game and, you know, on all that stuff. So, no, I didn't think this. I, this is why they have to do something about uh, the portal and the way it's handled and everything like that. Because theoretically, Jed Fish could have entered, um, could have entered the doors at Montlake and had zero scholarship players on his roster. Yeah. I mean, that. Look, I I get it. Arizona fans are not going to feel sorry for Jed Fish or Washington fans or whatever. But that's not that's just setting them up for an absolute failure. You know, you've got to figure out a way to make these players stick around for at least a few months to get to know the coaches. And then if they don't like them after spring ball, let them go in the spring portal. That's fine. You know, you should have one portal time for any of these guys and it should be after spring football and give them a month, give them May 1st through uh, May 30th or May 31st and, and just say, you've got, You've got time to go find yourself a new place if you don't like this new coaching staff. But at least it would give the new coaches. Brent Brennan was in the same situation. I, you know, would Ephesians Prysock, would Jonah Coleman be at the University of Washington right now if that wasn't available to them? No, it wouldn't have. He, Brent Brennan would have had an opportunity to convince those players to stay. And that's why I think, and I would be saying this even if it was Oregon or USC or Ohio State, Michigan. Any of these schools, it is not fair to the new coaching staff to to put them in this situation. These kids still would have the opportunity to go find new opportunities somewhere else. It would just be 
uh, five months later in the after being able to go through spring ball and see what it's going to be like. Scott, uh, also just give us a brief just blanket overall. Just give a uh, 10,000 square foot look at what's going on in recruiting right now. Okay, well, so first of all, the coaches are not on the road and no players are visiting campus because we're in a dead period. This is a time when when the coaches can't be out on the road and this is a time when recruits cannot visit campus. But the coaches are doing FaceTime calls, they're doing texts, they're doing phone calls with them, they're talking to parents and they're talking to to, uh, coaches, seven on seven, trainers, all those different guys, people that are in contact with these recruits, getting to know them a little bit better, continuing to form those relationships but they're also evaluating them. You know, um, what are their grades like? What are all these different things? So they're going through a lot of, on a lot of these different guys. Um, I know they're having recruiting meetings almost every day. Um, and, uh, you know, because coaches basically in those recruit- recruiting meetings, I don't know if it's exactly the same as what uh, Bruce Feldman broke down in, in Meat Market, but basically they bring names and they throw up the film and the coaches all – say, yeah, let's take this guy. No, let's not. Let's wait and see him evaluated. No, he's not going to be a fit for us ever. You know, things like that. So, you know, just all the different things that that need to be going through. So um, there's a possibility they could add, as Chris said, another offensive lineman, another another uh, portal quarterback from both from the portal or even a high school guy that they might like that didn't sign anywhere. Um, Because I think you have until April 1st to sign a letter of intent. So, We'll see about that. But uh, right now, I'd say until March, until early March, I don't think you're going to see a lot of movement in the ways of commitments, uh, in the ways of, um, you know, a lot of excitement and things like that. But there's still a lot going on on the recruiting trail. Hey, Scott, just real quick. Also, you put out an article today about the top in-state recruits. Um, Maybe just go over a couple of the top elite guys and get people familiar with a couple of the elite recruits in the state uh, and let them know uh, who they are. Well, in my opinion, the only elite, like absolutely you, you take him no matter what guy on the list is the top guy in the state of Washington, according to 247, and that's Zadrius Rainey Saleh. He's a linebacker edge prospect out of uh, Bethel High School down there in the South Sound and uh, big time guy was committed to Washington for a total of four days and then decommitted because Kalen DeBoer left. So, um, you know, it, it was it was. It's been really wacky for him, but he's he's talked to uh, me. He's talked to Brandon Huffman, who posted an article on him where he basically said Washington is still one of his top schools, but he wants to you know form a relationship with the new coaching staff. Um, Brandon Huffman thinks he's going to grow himself into an edge. Currently, he's sitting as a linebacker right now. Um, he's a big time guy in Washington is reoffered, but he's going to he's got offers from everywhere. So he's going to be a while before he makes a decision. Uh, the only other guys that I think are even even remotely guys that Washington is really looking at heavily right now are Noah Flores. They the could emer- they could emerge. No, they are they've already emerged. I just right. don't Washington hasn't reoffered them yet, or at least not publicly. They haven't claimed a new offer, and that's tight end Noah Flores out of Graham Kapowson, offensive lineman Dimitri Manning out of Bellevue. And then the other one is, let me, uh, is Darian Clemens out of uh, Spanaway Lake. He's a defensive back. And those are the top guys. Antoine Lee is an intriguing running back out of Kentwood. Um, he was offered by Arizona. So Scotty Graham was all over him when he was down at uh, the University of Arizona. 
but he didn't have a lot of other big offers. I think uh, Nevada was his only other offer and, and, or I'm sorry, Colorado was the other offer. Sorry about that. So, um, you know, it depends, you know, can Washington, does Washington feel like they can go out and get another really good running back that is better than Antoine Lee, even though Antoine Lee's a local guy, that's really going to be the consideration. My guess is they, they still keep an eye on him. They want to see him in camp. They probably want to see him in his senior season before they really pursue him. But uh, that's a guy just to keep an eye on as well. Willie Washer was an offensive lineman. It is an offensive lineman for Bellevue high school. He's, he's a more of an interior guy. Um, he, he can play, you know, either guard spot or center. Uh, he has offers from Miami, Nevada, and USC. I'm not sure how committable some of those offers are right now. So um, I wouldn't get too caught up in who is actually offered. But Washer uh, was out junior day. And um, he uh, he told me, I asked him, and he said Washington didn't even really talk to him about the evaluation process. He, they barely, he said they barely talked to him when he was on campus. So um, – Take that for what it's worth. I think some of it is just they they hadn't they hadn't even really evaluated him, so that I don't think they even know how much they would want him or anything like that. So um, that's another name to keep an eye on. The other guys that that are uh, that have offers from a lot of other schools are Jonathan Epperson. He's a athlete, two way player at um, Auburn Riverside. Uh, T Andre Waverly from Kamiak is another one big time guy from an athlete standpoint 64225 runs a sub 1100 meters um really talented guy from an athletic standpoint but just not a, a big time football player so um do I think that Washington could offer him down the road sure um I just don't know how how much how, about his passion for the game because I went to two games he plays for a horrible team uh, terrible program uh, right now. And, um, and, and so maybe that caused him to lose some interest. Maybe he transfers this, this spring, summer, whatever, and finds himself in a new, in a new spot at a new school. Maybe Lake Stevens is a possibility. Uh, maybe some of these other places and maybe he gets a love for the game or, or enjoys it a little bit more, but I don't, I don't see a guy that needs to be an offer right now in Teandre Waverly. So those are some of the other guys. There's, there's a, a couple others on that, on that list that I like as uh, football players, just maybe not as guys that will wind up in the university of Washington. Chris basketball this week, uh, it's been a little rocky with the loss to Washington state. They were getting blown out at Oregon, made a comeback, came up short, were able to defeat Oregon state, which is not a really good team. Um, and then they've got Stanford and Cal coming in this week on Thursday, Saturday. So, um, we'll talk, probably talk to coach hop, uh, Tuesday, uh, and see what's going on there. So anything to update on basketball at all? Hopefully we get a, Frank Kepnong sighting on the floor this week. Yeah, I think pretty much everything's status quo on that right now at this point. I mean, they're playing Stanford Cal, so we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's just game by game, right? It just seems yeah. like it's it's just nothing's really changed. I mean, you know Christian King's redshirting, you know Wesley Yates is redshirting. I thought it was a great um, sign that Paul, Paul Mulcahy played as much as he did, Corn Johnson played as much as he did. So they're getting healthier or healthy ish enough to be able to play a full lineup and have some uh, subs, which is good quality subs. I think that showed in the last couple of games, just a matter now of the, every time they get a game where it looks like they're clearly over the hump, whether it was the Utah game in Seattle or this last game against Oregon state and Corvallis, can they build off that? That's the thing they need to do is they need to build off that and create some consistency 
because that's the only thing that's really missing is the consistency piece. Because every time they put together something that looks like it could be sustainable, they come up against another team and they can't sustain it. That's the hardest part. This is the time to go on a run with Stanford and Cal at home, and then you're on the road for Arizona State. So those next three games are very, very winnable. And then you finish up with Arizona and Washington State. So, um, you know, it's it's there's a lot of pressure on Mike Hopkins now. I mean, he knows the deal. So we'll see what happens, and we'll see if we can see if we can see this team make a run. So, anyways, uh, hey, hey, real quick, Kim, I just yeah. I didn't wanted to I wanted to harken back to to recruiting just real quick. I had a question for Scott because um, one of the things that I really noticed and, I, and I'm wondering it just just so that the fans kind of understand and we can kind of compare and contrast because it was it was made kind of a big deal when Alabama hired Courtney Morgan, but they call him now the general manager of the Alabama team. Well, I, I'm kind of curious, Scott, if you're seeing any differences, because one of the things that I noticed when the new Washington staff got out on the road, not only were they immediately going out and, and offering and re-offering tons of 2025, 20, 26, 27 kids, but they were doing it by using a couple of guys that we really haven't seen on the road before. And that's guys that were that aren't coaches, that aren't position coaches. Now, they didn't have a full staff at the time, which I think allowed them to do that. But can you talk a little bit about kind of the roles of some of these guys like Josh Amura, Armand Hawkins, and how this is going to the, kind of the the hierarchy and and the way that this new staff is putting together their recruiting efforts compared to what everyone saw under Courtney Morgan. Yeah, um, I, I think you are going to see a little bit more of an emphasis in inside the state of Washington. Now, now they aren't going to just go out and offer and then take ten guys from the state of Washington. I think some of these guys from the state of Washington just are not on the same level as some of these other guys that Washington has a chance to get. And so they're going to go out and pursue those guys. And then Washington guys, you know, maybe a Washington guy at the same position is going to be a, I don't want to call them a fallback, but maybe down the board a, a space or two. And so they're not going to look to take them right away. And I know that frustrates people like crazy, but that's just the reality. The, the state of Washington has some good football players in it, but they are not better than, than the, I mean, from the talent level, California, Texas, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, um, Nevada, you know, to a certain extent, um, Utah. These are all areas that have maybe not Nevada, but um, Utah. These these are areas that have a lot better talent than what Washington has. And if you can go out and get kids in those areas that are better than the ones locally, then you go get them. And so people need to get off of this local offer kind of situation. Um, that's where Armand uh, Hawkins, though, and Josh Omara come in, though. Those guys have ties outside of the, the you know, state of Washington. Both of them ha- do have ties in the state of Washington. But, they're, you know, Armand Hawkins is a is a beast down in the Southland, down in down in Southern California. He's going to be an absolute beast down there. So will Jordan Pow Pow. He's a big time guy down there in that San Diego area. Anybody he wants, he's going to have a chance to get. Jimmy Doherty in the Bay Area is going to do really, really well. Uh, he's a quarterback coach. I think Cal Fusi is going to recruit the hell out of Utah. Um, the defensive line coach, edge coach, he's going to be um, an, an absolute monster in the state of Utah. Um, also, in, in um, uh, Brendan Carroll's really big in Nevada. 
you're going to see Washington be in the mix for a lot of those Bishop Gorman guys. Arizona, obviously, because they all had big ties in Arizona. Those are going to be more kids that that they're going to bring in uh, from that area. So um, I think the focus is going to remain quite the same. The footprint is going to be Washington. I'm sorry, California, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, maybe a little bit, but not as much. Hawaii has already seen a couple of offers go out as well. I know that Scott, uh, not Scott, uh, Brendan Carroll, Jordan Pow Pow, or I'm sorry, Jordan Pow Pow and Joshua Murrow were both out there um, evaluating kids and and making offers. So I think you're going to see the footprint remain the same, but Jed Fish has said it. We've got to recruit nationally. There's just no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have to recruit nationally. That's what the Big Ten schools do. That's what we're going to do. So that means Washington's going to have a big presence in Texas. You're probably going to see see them have a big presence in Illinois, in Minnesota, in in Nebraska, in Oklahoma, in, in you know Arkansas, and these places that Washington fans aren't used to them having a huge presence in. Now, Texas has been a, an area that Washington has recruited pretty well since Chris Peterson days, basically. So over the last decade, they've recruited Texas pretty well. But all those other areas, those are not areas that Washington has recruited very heavily. But you're going to see a bigger presence for the University of Washington in those areas. And I think that's where Omura and Hawkins are going to play into that. They're going to be able to be out on the road. Um, I think that's going to – I'm not saying it's going to completely take the place of of, of Billick and, and uh, uh, shoot, Sunseri um, on the road and the, new, and the new linebackers coach, but they're going to have the experience that those guys don't necessarily have on the recruiting trail. All right, guys, we're well over an hour into this, so uh, Chris Fetters, go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on in your place, kid. It sounds like you just had a – Tornado go through your Wind house. tunnel. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I, yeah, I got a little bit of a plumbing problem, and so I'm drying it out. So you're hearing fans. Okay. No, no, no worries, no worries. Just what we we will wrap this up so you can get you can. It's not a big plumbing problem, but there was a leak under the sink, and I'm just kind of going crap. You know? I was say, so, so we we don't want we don't want you to get flooded out. So no, we'll, no. We'll keep this short, but. I, I really wanted the answer to that question, Scott, and I thought that was a phenomenal answer because I really do think it underscores kind of the structural differences between how Kalen DeBoer approached recruiting and how Jed Fish has approached recruiting because Fish has made no bones about it. He said it in the signing day press conference. He's been adamant about it. He wants the 2025 recruiting class for Washington to be the best kind of rated recruiting class in the entire in in the history of Washington football he mentioned specifically 24-7 sports he mentioned other things like pro football focus you know we've never heard a head coach talk about these things before so that's really really important because this is clearly a guy that pays attention to these things and is going to try to use them to his advantage so this is you can already see how fish is trying to kind of pull things into the new world for Washington football, you know, in, into, into, into the light, because this is, this is kind of the, the new world that we're dealing with, with the NIL and the transfer portal that, that doesn't seem like it's ever going to end and all these other things. So you can see the moves that are being made and having guys like Omura and, and Armand Hawkins out on the road is just another sign that they're taking this thing super, super seriously and are going to attack it. So, you know, that's that's probably the main thing that I would get going forward out of this, because, you know, we, we were told the spring spring football starts uh, April 2nd. Uh, we've heard I think it's every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday 
is when practices are going to be. They're going to be open to the public. Everybody's going to be able to go if you want to go and watch it. So you don't have to necessarily rely on us, even though we want you to. <laughs> but we, you know, we'll have our Dogman Radio segments after every practice, and we'll still talk to the players and coaches and everything. But things are ramping up, guys. Things are ramping up. We are less than two months away from all this stuff cranking up again, and it just it feels like it it hasn't even it hasn't even really stopped at this point. Ramping up hell. We've been <laughs> we've been going nonstop since the end of July, Chris. And then when after the championship game, we thought we were going to get a little bit of a break, but you know, shame on us for thinking that. It's actually we're starting to slow down a little bit, so we've probably got a little bit more time before things start ramping back up and. Yeah, I think we all need the break. So, anyways, hey, we're um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have uh we're gonna start doing uh spring previews in March. I mean, yeah. it's only like four weeks away. Yeah, and half the players that we're gonna be talking about are guys that we've never even seen play on, in the purple and gold. Yeah, it's we've seen fun. them play at other places. We can talk about what they did at other places, but we certainly won't be able to talk talk about them with any firsthand knowledge in terms of how they would fit in a scheme that we only know that was run at a place like Arizona. So it's, it's going to be very, very different. And I guess the New England Patriots. So. All right. Like I said, it's been busy and uh, hopefully get a little bit of a break and then things start picking back up again. Again, basketball Thursday, uh, Miss Stanford, Cal on Saturday, then on the road for a week and then back over to Pullman. So anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Thank you.